Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, August 11th, 2022. I am so glad to be with you tonight and I'm grateful to every one of you for taking the time to be with us to study. I've been looking forward to this all week and let's begin. Why do we fast on the 9th of Av? Of course. We fast on 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av, to commemorate the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple of Jerusalem, the first one and the second one. But my question is, why do we fast on the ninth day of the month of Av? Now, of course, this year was different because due to the ninth of Av falling on Shabbat, last Shabbos was the ninth of Av on the calendar, we pushed off the fast until Saturday night and Sunday, which was actually the 10th of Av, but in a regular year. What happens in a regular year? So the Talmud says that the temple, the Beis Hamikdash, was set afire late on the afternoon of the 9th of Av, but it only burned down, it only fell down, it was only destroyed on the 10th of Av. So, my question is, if the main destruction was on the 10th, why don't we fast on the 10th of Av? And we acknowledge that the destruction on the 10th of Av was greater than on the 9th because we continue the acts of mourning, not shaving, not getting a haircut, not eating meat, until midday on the 10th of Av. Again, that was mute, moot this year, since the fast of Sunday was already the 10th of Av. But normally, why is the fast the main observance on the 9th? And in fact, <laughs> in fact, the Talmud records one opinion that we should fast both days, the 9th and the 10th. Okay, fortunately, thank God that opinion was not accepted. But if we're only going to commemorate one day, why the ninth? We discussed this last week, and I suggested one approach. But tonight I want to share a new understanding of this question. In the last eight years, I have approached Tisha B'Av differently than I did before. In my own personal observance, and in the teaching that I share. And this is largely due to an epiphany I had, an experience I had in the summer of 2014 that was one of the deepest and most transformative of my life. Early that summer, 2014, on June 12th, three Israeli boys, Naftali Frankel, Gilad Sha'er and Eyal Yifrach were kidnapped by Hamas terrorists. For 18 days, Israeli security forces frantically searched for them and Jews around the world prayed for them. On June 30th, their bodies were found in a shallow grave. Hamas started firing hundreds and then thousands of missiles 
from Gaza towards Israel, and on July 8th, Israel launched a military operation in Gaza to stop those missiles and to close tunnels that were discovered which would have allowed terrorists from Gaza to infiltrate Israel and commit unimaginable atrocities. Later it was reported that these secret tunnels were intended to be used in a surprise attack for hundreds of terrorists to suddenly infiltrate Israel on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, in order to kidnap Israeli soldiers and carry out acts of terror. Security forces said that the heroic efforts of the IDF during July and August 2014 prevented a disaster on the order of the Yom Kippur War. During July and August, there was heavy fighting with many casualties. And I wanted to go. I needed to go to Israel to represent Adaf and our Jewish community in showing support to our brothers and sisters in Israel. I wanted to visit Adaf members in Israel and Adaf relatives in Israel. I wanted to visit soldiers and hospitals and Nebuch Shiva houses. And anywhere else, I could bring the message that every single one of us in Montreal is with them. And I was and I remain deeply grateful to Adaf for enabling me to make this vital trip. And let me mention, it was George Reinhardt, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, let's remember a righteous man for a blessing, who took the lead in creating the ability for me to go. And I mention this in tribute as George passed away last Friday. I wanted to go to Israel because Rabbi Shlomo Riskin wrote, if Israel were merely Disneyland, then you only come if there is sun and peace. But if Israel is motherland, then when your mother needs you, that is especially when you must be there. I wanted to go because Rabbi David Stav wrote, there is no substitute for the national impact of people who travel thousands of miles to hug a wounded soldier. Do not underestimate the strength with which these missions reverberate throughout Israeli society and within the hearts of IDF soldiers on the front line. I arrived in Israel just as Tisha B'Av began. Permit me to relive with you some of that trip tonight. And then I will circle back to the question I posed at the beginning. Because on that trip I found deep pain in Israel and fear and anxiety. It was not easy. But at the same time, Something majestic was happening. Something momentous was happening. And it changed my life.
I visited the Shiva of Avraham Wallace. Avraham Wallace was killed in a terror attack at a construction site in Jerusalem the day before I arrived. He was a Hasidic Jew who lived in Meisha Arim with his wife and five-year-old son and their extended family. His job was to accompany a construction crew working in an area where it was suspected there might be Jewish graves underneath. And his job was to ensure the dignity and respect to those graves if any were found. Now this work is an amazing mitzvah of kindness and respect and attention to holiness that speaks to the special nature of this young man. And it was while doing this holy work that he was murdered. I went to the Shiva house in a back warren of Mea Sha'arim. Throughout my trip, my GPS was able to direct me all around the Gaza front line, but it could not find this address in the heart of Jerusalem. It's another world, a world that is profoundly spiritual and idealistic, a world that is devoid of materialism or self-absorption. When I came to the Shiva house, there were no other guests. I sat down with Avraham's father. We could not have looked more different, he and I. He was dressed in the garments of a Hasidic Jew, a fur strimal, a long black and white striped cloak. I was wearing a pink polo shirt and khaki pants. But we are both Torah Jews in our own way. We are both fathers and grandfathers of approximately the same age. I expressed to him on behalf of all of us at Adaf that we are with him. I said his son died al-Kirush Hashem, sanctifying God's name, as he was killed only because he was a Jew. And he was very comforted by my words, and he was deeply moved that a community so far away, geographically and ideologically, would go to the effort to visit and offer condolences. I told them at Vartora from the Sefer Shnei Luchos Habris, the Shalah HaKadosh, who says that the last mitzvah a person fulfills before his death sums up the essence of his life. And I meant by this to praise his son, whose life was exemplified by this exquisite mitzvah he performed at its very end, even as it was tragically cut short. He responded with a similar Dvar Torah, a quote from the Medrash in Gohelis that when a person dies while performing a mitzvah, it means that that person has successfully completed every other mitzvah except for this one, and with its fulfillment, his life's mission is complete. 
I asked about his grandson. He told me that he is five years old and beginning to learn Alephet. Most children start learning Alephet with some version of a Hebrew primer. But this boy would learn the letters to the words of Kaddish he would be saying for his father. I visited wounded soldiers in Barzillai Hospital in Ashkelon. One soldier I visited was originally from Costa Rica and made Aliyah with his family several years earlier. He told me that before his family decided to make Aliyah, they would sit at their Shabbat table in Costa Rica and consider the pros and cons of that important decision. And the one factor that caused them to hesitate more than any other was their fear that he would have to go into the army. He was worried about it as a teenager. And his parents were certainly worried about it, as any parents would be. And he told me, in the hospital, recovering from a serious injury, that since making Aliyah and now having served in the army, this has become the greatest benefit of their move to Israel, to be able to be part of the IDF. Down the hall, I visited another seriously wounded soldier. I expressed the gratitude of all of us for his service and his sacrifice. I also spoke with his mother and father and expressed to them our gratitude and support recognizing that their burden is in some ways greater than his. And they were so appreciative. And we were all moved to tears. But the tears were interrupted. The room suddenly became crowded with about 20 to 25 soldiers and friends and nurses and me and three fellows with guitars. And music was playing and everyone was singing and dancing. It was a joyous festival of closeness and support for this boy and for everything he fights for. And I said to a nurse standing beside me, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And she said, neither have I. Our rabbis teach us about the tent of Avraham and Sarah that was open on all four sides to welcome guests coming in every direction. There is a new tent of Avraham and Sarah in Maslul, not far from Beersheba, very close to the Gaza border. It was started and run by Doron Elbaz, who lives there, and he wanted to do something on his own for Israeli soldiers. So he set up a free coffee stand on the road near his home so that soldiers, many of whom are passing by on their way to and from Gaza, could stop and have a cup of coffee. And it grew. In 2014, when I was there, it was an area larger than the entire Adath property, covered with tents, and open on all sides. There is a large sign that expressed its purpose. Welcome, dear soldiers. We are here to give you comfort. 
It was a village of offerings for soldiers. Every food station you could imagine. Grilled meats, salads, a barista, Belgian waffles, as well as massages, sofas on which to take a nap, showers, barbers, free tickets to any game, concert, or show, or anything else that you could imagine to make a tired soldier feel welcome and comfortable. I had the privilege to bring donated food, to help cook and serve it, and to visit with soldiers who were relaxing in this homey atmosphere. It was open 24-7, staffed with hundreds of volunteers and replenished with thousands of donations daily. As Daron told me, every soldier who comes here will know that our entire nation will do anything for them. And what was evident there was a spirit of unity and kindness and the erasing of boundaries between religious and secular, left and right, with the famous statement of Rabbi Avram Cook in mind that the sin of sinaskinam, needless hatred, for which the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, can only be con- countered by ahavaskinam, needless and abundant love. Israel at that moment was suffused with ahavaskinam. Before I came to Israel, I contacted Ami Tamir, a dear, close friend of mine who was an officer in the IDF reserves. And when I arrived in Israel, he was free, and he took me around. He told me that in his view, God is happy with us today, since what is happening is having the result of increased Ahavat Chinam. He said, Ahavat Chinam is the whole story. Kolasipur, he said to me. He said to me, we are strong, we are resolved, and we are unified, and we are proud. We visited another army base and had a barbecue for a group of soldiers just back from Gaza. I watched them drive in their their dusty tanks coming back from Gaza. And I found... (laughs) What could one day be my dream retirement job if I ever fulfill my dream of making Aliyah? I could be a consultant to help Israelis learn how to work a barbecue grill better. Because Israelis love grill foods, but for many of them, let's just say their technique is lacking. This soldier was trying to get the barbecue grill lit. It wasn't working. I told him what he needed to do, but he wouldn't listen to me. One day that could be my job. And I would have a lot of work. Late at night, we were driving along the Gaza border on our way back to Tel Aviv. We could see missiles that had been fired flying overhead our car. I wasn't worried because I was with a veteran army officer beside me who knew what to do. With the radio on to hear any alerts, I was driving so that he could watch the sky. 
He told me, here's the advice from the expert, drive slowly in case you need to stop suddenly, you can do it very quickly and run out of the car into a ditch. And he said, if a missile hits nearby, don't panic. <laughs> of course, it's easy for him to say. Okay, but that's what he said. Don't panic, stay calm, and most important, don't lose control of the car. Baruch Hashem, we were fine. I arrived in Israel in the middle of the war, just before the fast of Tisha B'Av. <clears throat> and I went from the airport directly to Nevei Michael near Beit Shemesh. Not the Nevei Michael on the way to Haifa. That's another place. But this is an area near Beit Shemesh. And I went there in order to join them for Eicha and for Kinus at the beginning of Tisha B'Av. And this is a community, relatively new, that was started by Avi Rosenblatt and others, to whom Adath had loaned a Torah scroll. And this is a very special group that includes Jews of all types building a community together, Ashkenaz and Sfard, older, younger, Israeli and from the diaspora, in a very unique and beautiful manner. One of the members said to me when I arrived, Welcome to our goulash. More seriously, he said, this group is evidence of the ingathering of the exiles as Jews from all corners of the world are now joined together here. We at Adas should be very proud of the connection we created with them. I expected a very mournful and emotional experience given what was going on, especially the attacks in Jerusalem just that afternoon. But it was not. The community is very beautiful. The setting sun over the valley is breathtakingly serene. The area, which is just south of Beit Shemesh, is the site of a large chunk of Jewish history. In fact, there are still large chunks like ancient foundations on which some of these homes are built that go back to the times of the prophets. The shy young son of our host wanted to tell me all about how great his neighborhood was. Dad, he said, tell him what is out back just beyond that hill. And his father encouraged him to tell me the battle between Goliath and David occurred just as stone throws away from his home. That's the reality in which these precious children are being raised. Another person there explained that this area had been uninhabited for almost 2,000 years, and now, for the first time since then, its remnants are being rebuilt. And he held his fingers together like this, we are this close, he said, this close to redemption. The feeling of commemorating Tisha B'Av here was unlike any I have ever experienced. They actually feel, they don't just piously say it, they feel that this Tisha B'Av may just be the last one. And next year, this date may well be a celebration. This is their reality.
someone walked in with a bag of groceries. And the men asked him, is that for Kiddush? Did you just hear some late news bulletin that the redemption is at hand and we're not going to fast tonight but celebrate with a big Kiddush? Is that why you brought groceries? Maybe they were kidding. But I don't think so. Tisha B'Av today in Israel is different than Tisha B'Av here or anywhere else. And we need to catch up. What is happening in Israel today is, in a wider context, a transformation of Tisha B'Av from a day of mourning for Jerusalem to a day of anticipating the end of mourning for Jerusalem. On that Tisha B'Av morning in 2014, I went to the Kotel for Kinos. I did not hear wailing and sobbing. I heard crying. I heard listening for the seeds of redemption that are sprouting at that very moment. It's not perfect. I'm not naive. There are challenges in every area of life. But something very new and very profound and very historic is happening in Israel today. And you have to go there for yourself to experience it and to be part of making it happen. I realized that year for the first time that the choice of the ninth or the tenth for commemorating the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash is not a quantitative question on which day was the greater destruction. The choice is qualitative. Do we emphasize marking the beginning of the burning or the end of the burning? The beginning of the burning is true. On the ninth of Av, there was a fire. And for all time, we have to commemorate that we had a Beit HaMikdash and on the ninth of Av, it was set afire. That is true and will always be true. But the end, on the tenth of Av, the fact that it was burned and destroyed, that is not for all time. That is a temporary setback that does not merit ongoing commemoration. And that is why the fast is on the 9th of Av and not on the 10th. I recognize the summer of 2014 was a special time in war, fear, and love are heightened. But I have seen and felt and understood this increasingly every year since. And it has transformed me. The mood in Israel then and now with all that is going on. And I find this mood across every spectrum of Israeli society is we are seeing and creating redemption 
in Israel today through unity and through Ahavat Chinam. And one day soon, the Shabbat of Nachamu, God's promise to console and redeem us, will not come after Tisha B'Av, but will be merged with it. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening and a comforting and wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.